0: Testing, one, two, one, two, one, two.
1: (laughs) You guys should see Evan right now. It is just priceless. It's like baby's first podcast. I love it. It's adorable.
0: It's like my uh, college radio days. We
1: registered for some uh, crib rails so we wouldn't get too close (laughs) to the microphone. (laughs) Oh, God.
2: Hello and thank you for listening to the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast. We are the podcast for people who care about coffee. I'm Brian Bikey, and joining me on the podcast today, my co-host, the wearer of many hats who has just come off of a two-week retirement from Instagram. <laughs> he is Brian Sheely.
3: <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to mention that. <laughs> yes, uh, two weeks off was, was much needed. Uh, stepping away from social media for a little while is always a good thing. I recommend it highly.
2: A lot of people were asking me if you were okay. I think uh sometimes people not only do they miss you, but they might also forget that we have life stuff that we have to do also in addition <laughs> well, to Instagram. I mean to be
3: to be honest and uh, not to start off this wonderful episode with a huge downer, uh but we had to we had to put my dog down of 13 years. Uh so it was kind of a big time for our family. So yeah, you know, life stuff dad life all that stuff
2: so. well speaking of dad life we brought on one of the best dads i know <laughs> he's he's the father of blueprint coffee oh man oh is that a bad is that a bad turnaround uh, That's a good one. <laughs> kind of yeah we've got uh, we've got two of the guys from blueprint coffee on with us right now we have mike mark ward and we have evan jones joining us hey guys hello gentlemen hello hello, hello. Thanks for making some time to be on the podcast with us.
0: No, thanks for having us. Yeah,
1: it's a pleasure.
2: You know, I was really trying to think about, I was like, oh, if I do this dad thing and we turn around and we talk about father and then we talk about may the fourth be with you and I just try, I I was trying to do too many things at once.
1: It's a lot of fatherly stuff
2: going on at once. It is.
0: And I appreciate the Star Wars references as well. Well,
2: I appreciate you. You know what I'd appreciate even more? If you guys would do us the honors of starting off this podcast telling us what you've been brewing lately
0: so i got one of my coworkers was recently in portland oregon and she picked me up a bag of <clears throat> Roseline's william cardona columbia um it was a competition coffee that bethany from barista used uh this year um looked really exciting online um it was just like berry jam in a cup it was really really tasty what'd you brew it on Brewed it at the shop on uh, the Hario V60. Fancy. Yes. I have been
1: brewing uh, some coffee I got by accident. I loaned a grinder to my old compadres at Caldi's Coffee down in Atlanta, and they left a couple pounds of a coffee from Carlos Mbachi in the hopper. Ooh. Uh, it was tasty uh, So it was the coffee Andrew McCausland was pulling at USBC uh, And I don't know if it was an accidental or intentional gift But I enjoyed it And uh, super chocolatey, just dense cup And pretty fun I actually got to accidentally stumble onto Carlos Mbachi's farm With Caldy's 2009 I was down there with Tyler Zimmer, their green buyer and uh, we just wandered onto this farm down in San Augustine. Turned out to be one of the best coffee farms in the world, so it's a great accident.
2: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Man,
3: I wish I could stumble into accidental coffee in coffee farms that, like that. <laughs> what,
2: what, what What? am I doing here, What Carlos? am I doing here? Is this your farm? Yeah.
1: Yeah, he was a very humble guy. He, uh, I don't think he realized how big of a deal he was, and he's only blown up more since then. So.
2: Right. Had his copies copies the last couple of years and been really enjoying it. Is is the one that you have right now? Is it? Uh, I assume it's fresh crop. Yeah, uh, I,
1: I would I would assume so. I think um, I I know they've had it at Caledes before. They had it last year, and I think it might be available now. If not, coming soon. Well, uh, I'll
2: look. We'll into talk that. a bit more about fresh crop and whatnot here in a bit. But before that, Brian, what about you? Can you, Brian. Um, well, not competition coffee. Let's just say that. I mean, I'm not not something you're name dropping.
3: Not no, not at all. Um, Jeez. I I basically uh, I picked up a bag of uh, 49th Parallel, uh, the Biftu Gadina from Ethiopia. Uh, there's a, a shop here in town called uh, Futuro, and they've been they've been selling 49th Parallel there uh, since they opened and. I grabbed a bag of that this weekend and brewed it up today on the Ratio and also as espresso. So I kind of like, you know, figuring out how filter coffee, filter roasted coffee performs on espresso. And really great espresso, but definitely shines as a as a pour over. Uh, filled with floral notes and honey and uh, a lot of sweetness. And it was great. I, I really enjoyed it today. I drank it pretty much most of the morning, so... That's my choice. How about you? Uh,
2: Another coffee from Canadian Roaster. Phil and Sebastian, though, for me. So you've got some of this on order. It's on its way. You'll know what I'm talking about soon. but
3: I got my shipment notification
2: yesterday. I've been drinking the Carlin's Geisha from Panama from Phil and Sebastian. So this is like uh, maybe two months off harvest or something like that. So super fresh stuff they got. I thought they had it flown in and... I didn't know a whole lot about it. I just uh, was talking with Vanessa, Phil and Sebastian. She said it was coming in, so I just went ahead and plunged, and it's one of the cleanest geishas I've had in a really long time. So a lot of cool mango going on, some tropical fruit, really clean florals, a lot of candy sweetness. It kind of has everything about all the other geisha characteristics that I like. You know, there's some that are really pretty florals, and you have some that are really pretty, like, stone fruit candy or whatever, and it's just kind of the perfect balance of all all of those components at once so it's just tastes really fresh it tastes uh fantastic so i'm just bouncing between v60 and kalita wave on that because it's tasting so good i I haven't done a chemex in a while i might need to do that soon but that's me so guys thanks for being on the show Um, i know we already
3: said hello and everything but uh if you don't know um evan and mike you guys are involved heavily with Blueprint Coffee. Can you guys kind of tell us, like, as we get, it, get started here, how did Blueprint get started? How did you guys get started in coffee? Just kind of give us the rundown of uh, how everything sort of got got going there for you.
1: It's going to take a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Pull up a chair. We got plenty yeah. of time. I am the dad of Blueprint now, officially, <laughs> so... <laughs> you better true. get a shirt uh, that says that Yeah, I think so I just wear a baby around, actually I don't even need a shirt Oh, geez. jeez yeah. <laughs> That's Truth. true too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got into coffee by accident about 10 years ago now uh, When I moved back to St. Louis uh, I landed a job with Caldy's Coffee They were the first place of employment uh, That called me back And I was pretty desperate for some work uh, And I just fell into loving coffee kind of accidentally It was a very casual flavored coffee drinker and uh went to a cupping, tasted a crazy Ethiopian coffee and fell into it like a lot of people do. Uh so I did about five years with Caldys, everything from uh you know, work in the cafe to wholesale service and training, uh learned a ton. Uh and then I was craving some time in uh more in just customer service and coffee service uh, so I left uh, Caldys in 2011, and joined the team that was opening Half and Half, which is a restaurant and coffee bar in St. Louis, and uh, managed that restaurant and ran a multi-roaster coffee program. Learned a lot about you know coffee seasonality and uh, just about service and making coffee in many different ways. Kind of just like cut loose and went for it. And during that time, uh, some of my friends that I'd been working with pri- in, in my prior life were talking about doing uh, a retail concept called Blueprint. And they were thinking about roasting. And uh, they came to me and said, you know, is this a good time? What do you think? You're, you're away from Caldy's now, and you're kind of doing things on your own. What are things like in the St. Louis market? Is this the right town? And I encouraged them to to keep looking into it, this was, uh, this was probably 2012, and the market was really starting to mature here, and people were really excited about Specialty Coffee, some great coffee shops were opening around town, uh, and then I had, separately from that, Andrew Timko, the roaster and green buyer at Blueprint, he approached me about uh, thoughts about opening a roaster and potentially doing a coffee shop, and it was pretty clear, it's like, oh, these guys need each other, So uh, I got everybody together and uh, we started talking about what would eventually become Blueprint and uh, fortunately I just kind of never got up from the meeting table and uh, figured out a way to work myself into the business and we opened our doors in 2013 in the Delmar neighborhood of St. Louis and shortly after met this uh, this fine gentleman next
0: to me. (laughs) So I guess I'll pick it up from there um, with my background. Um, So I have a media background. I went to school for that, so I drank a lot of... uh, There was a Starbucks uh, conveniently located right where I was taking all my classes, so I was in there most mornings uh, getting a 20-ounce coffee and showing back up about two hours later to get a refill. Um, (laughs) And... uh, kind of worked I worked in restaurants for a while I cooked and then I worked in fine dining as a server um and the whole time I was actually writing for some food local food publications so that's actually how I met Blueprint originally was I uh uh came into Blueprint to do an article about them when they opened so that's how I met Mike so I met uh, Kevin Reddy one of the other partners in Blueprint um I had a fun little interview with them uh outside I uh, realized very quickly that this was a very small, <laughs> small uh, facility in general because I was looking for a place to do a quiet interview, and the only place to do that was outside, which was kind of interesting. Um, and then I kind of was getting into coffee, more specialty coffee through a local shop called Comet Coffee. Um, I went in there and kind of, similar to Mike and I think a lot of other people, um, had a natural Ethiopian. It was just like a cup of blueberries. It was amazing. I thought they put flavor in it. They said no. They kind of were explaining some things to me and just kind of started jumping down the rabbit hole from there. Um, And I kind of was looking for a change of pace with my job. I was kind of getting burnt out with the restaurant industry and I kind of kept hassling Mike and Kevin for a job and they kind of were like, I don't know about this. Um, (laughs) So... um, I just, yeah, applied probably like at least three times probably over a couple months um, and started working there about a year and a half ago or so. Yeah, so it's been great. It's awesome. We have six partners at Blueprint, so
1: the first time Evan asked us for a job, we all looked at each other and said, well, we got to figure this out before we hire this guy. (laughs) We were all just (laughs) splitting shifts on the bar and – like this this guy could be really good for the business but we don't know what he's gonna do yet so right we didn't we didn't feel like making him wash dishes yet but now he washes a lot of dishes
2: (laughs) we we all do (laughs) did you guys have retail bags when you opened in 2013 we did we is that the same design that you guys have on the bags now just kind of
1: it's very similar there's been a few minor cosmetic changes but yeah very very similar
3: for those people who might not be super familiar with uh, Blueprints bags, you guys have a really interesting, um, I would say pretty innovative methodology for the way that you describe coffees um, just visually. Uh, can you kind of tell us what the mindset was behind actually doing that? Yeah. Or the choices that you guys made for for those designs?
1: For sure. So when we were looking at packaging uh, in 2013 – there was a trend moving away from best Buy dates and roast level on bags, which we were all for uh, getting away from those systems to evaluate coffee. But it seemed like you know there was like paragraph long uh, kind of verbal descriptors of coffee flavors that at times I think really lost consumers. Uh, maybe maybe a roaster selling to a coffee shop. It would have been a helpful thing, but the end consumers were also thinking they were gonna get, you know, jasmine flavored coffee and with notes of elderberry or something, and uh, <laughs> it was it was just a little bit of a stretch. We felt if a bag was sitting on a store shelf and there wasn't a person there to to really guide the consumer through what what that means, uh, we just felt like it was a little bit a little bit tough for the consumer to wanna buy that coffee or feel like. They understood it, so we came up with the. Uh, we early on we had the idea to use scales uh, on the on the bag, but instead of roast level, we really want to indicate more of the flavor experience. So we have the the sweetness kind of intensity indicator. Uh, we have body, and then we have brightness, and we use the word brightness pretty intentionally because acidity can be kind of a polarizing word. Uh, it really scares a lot of consumers. They think like, you know, stomach acid and things that are hard to digest. And Really, acidity is a wonderful, beautiful thing in coffee. So we thought brightness was a, a softer or more, uh, more uh, well understood word for that. And then on top of that, we also dove into color uh, a bit. Uh, there was a great article that came out in the specialty Coffee Chronicle in, like, 2012 by Emma Sage, I believe is her last name. She's a Special Coffee Scientist, works for SCAA, and it was all about uh, flavor perception uh, and influences that your other, uh, you know, other sensory perception. So how does touch and sight influence taste? Um, so we use colors to kind of associate taste notes instead of actually words, so... When a coffee is yellow, it's floral and citrusy, kind of lives in that family. And if it has a green stripe, usually that means that there's malic acid. So kind of loose associations with color that we decide upon as a group.
2: And Brian and I both have been able to try Blueprint several times, and I think it's kind of unanimous that we've both enjoyed pretty much everything we've had. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to meet up with Evan when I went up for the qualifying events That were happening in kansas city we got to meet up a little bit there i had to try some other blueprint coffees and the reason that we bring up the bags and the the packaging too is because another thing that you guys have on there so some bag some people tend to go away from this some people have it on the website and whatnot just you know when it talks about what the coffee variety is or when you talk about uh, the farm and stuff like that. But you guys have details on the bag that talk about also the harvest and talk about whether there's an importer or something like that on there too. So tying into this episode, which I don't know if we've necessarily introduced what the episode is, but we had these guys come on uh, to talk about sourcing and seasonality of coffee. So when you see those sections on the bag and it talks about the harvest and it talks about... Uh, who the coffee came from both those things kind of play into what we're going to talk about today so let's just kind of open it up and talk about sourcing first can we do that can we just talk about uh how how one would source a coffee or what that looks like what all that entails
0: yes definitely um we work with several different importers um main one being cafe imports Um, But we also have some really great partnerships with Atlas Coffee, uh, Inter-American Coffee, and who am I forgetting?
1: Uh, Royal Coffee. Royal Coffee uh,
0: out of New York as well. Um, Those are kind of our main importers, and we really kind of like to, as far as the coffees that we're getting, um, we're really looking at the relationship and trying to have reoccurring uh, coffees that come into the lineup.
1: For sure, you know when we started uh, when we started as a company, we've had I mean amazing examples to live up to. you look at companies like counterculture and Intelligentsia have set the standard for sourcing coffee that is extremely intimidating uh, when you're a six person company. It's like how do we how do we do this? How do we offer that kind of value in our coffees uh, so we we just kind of hunkered down and just took a belief in transparency. And in collaboration, uh, it's a big part of what we do. Is just trying to create mutually beneficial relationships, both to all the way back to the producers of our coffee, and to our consumers. Uh, so we started, just you know, everything from we just started by like calling people we knew and trusted, uh, and some you know that definitely started with Atlas Coffee and Cafe Imports. I mean, two companies that we traveled with in the past. And had personal ties to, and we trusted their evaluation of coffee. And a lot of times, these guys were already working with with coffees that we were familiar with. Um, so we just we started with you know very few coffees. I think we started with three coffees, and a decaf when we opened. Um, and with every coffee, you know we were we were you know evaluating the, evaluating the potential for relationship. Uh so it really starts uh, you know, our key to our success is so dependent upon our importers and I feel like I say this all the time, but you know you know, I think in it's really typical that middlemen or middle women just get a really bad rap in any industry. Um, you know, that they're, you know, squeezing extra dollars or cents out of the transaction But really, we rely so much on our importers to connect us to quality producers. And uh, sometimes, you know, as we've evolved this company, you know, now we're getting to a point where we're traveling. We're meeting a lot of producers in person, forming some relationships, you know, directly back to the farms. But it's because of the work that the importers are doing to, to make those relationships happen. And it goes you know it goes two ways when we once we roast the coffee, uh, a lot of times we're passing it on to other coffee shops, and uh, we're really doing a lot of work you know to try and make the coffee shine there too. so we're just another middle person you know in in on the way from origin to that final cup uh, so you know we're doing what we can to create value uh, and for us, transparency is just hugely important to. Get people to really buy into what we do, and uh, not not create some like mystique. Our brand is not based on like some magic that we put on the beans. It's about really highlighting and elevating coffees that are truly dynamic and delicious.
2: So one one kind of question that I had with so when people talk about going to origin, a lot kind of like what you were saying, a lot of companies multiple, you know folks from different companies will go on trips with, let's say like a cafe imports or something like that and go to origin. Um, I guess where I'm getting at with that is directly sourcing a coffee with a farm. Is that, is that, is, can that be seen um, separate from working with an importer or something like that? Are there cases where it is very much the same? The connection was made because of the importer, but you have your direct relationship. Are, are they separate? Are they sometimes separate How does that relationship look? That's a
1: great question. So I think it really, a lot of it relies upon how much coffee you're buying, to be honest. Um, there, and there are circumstances now where I think there's, there's companies, coffees that you, you all drink pretty frequently where there's companies really going to origin by themselves and contracting by themselves. And even in some cases now importing coffee by themselves, but that's pretty hard to do. So, uh, when we go on an origin trip, sometimes we're just going to explore a region. Like, for instance, uh, uh, Mazi and, and Nora went down, two of my partners, went down to Columbia to Calca a couple of years back with Cafe Imports. And they went to be judges for a cupping competition. And, you know, part of that is, you know, when you get invited on a trip like that, it's expected that you're going to buy coffee, but it's not mandated. But, you know, that's the reason we go is to kind of develop these farms. And for me to say that's a direct buying trip, I think, would be misleading. You know, that's an exploration trip. And, yeah, we did buy some coffee from farms that they got to visit. But it wasn't like we went and negotiated with cash in hand. Uh, It's it's not like that at all. Um, But now we're starting to get to a point where where we can work with uh, our importer, for instance, like... Uh, Kevin went down to Columbia for the second time in his career and got to visit a farm for the second time called La Fragua. It's a farm we've bought from many times and uh, they remembered him and uh, he had spent time there a few years back and um, they'd just been raising some new varieties in their variety garden uh, and he was there to see those trees planted and then they were just harvested when he was down there last and he we were able to negotiate. Basically the first right of refusal on those crops And we got to buy all that coffee uh, So they know where it's going and They know the price that they're getting for it um, So we start to build transparency into this But we still rely heavily on Atlas To get that coffee from La Fragua To our doorstep That's just a part of business that like, we are totally not ready to do yet you know, uh, The logistics of import and export law I, I have trouble getting a French press out of Canada So (laughs) by no means do we pretend to be like this kind of, you know, powerful company that's going down and like just, you know, whipping out a lot of cash and buying coffee. That's not really it at all. It's about kind of using these partnerships and trying to create transparency so that the producers understand their take and what we're paying all along the way. That's our goal is for that relationship to be beneficial to everyone and everyone from producer to exporter to importer to us to feel really good about what everybody's getting paid. And, like, it's a really fair trade.
3: So I, I got a question. Um, it, you know, you, you put together a lineup of coffees on your site, obviously. Like, I don't, I don't know, how, how, how many coffees usually do
0: you guys carry on hand? So we have a couple of different things. Uh, we have Penrose, which is our house espresso. Um, at the moment, that's a blend. Um, we have Tectone, which is a filter blend. Seasonal. Both of those are, rotate seasonally. Um, then we have kind of what we call a, a, a value spot. Um, kind of a coffee that's just kind of at a really great price point, um, but still tastes really great. Um, kind of like a mid-level spot as well, where we kind of put a little bit of a cap on the price and then we have a boutique spot which there's prices not really considered we just really want the coffee to be showcased to our consumers and then we have our secret weapon spot which is our decaf as well <laughs> oh so, man i thought
2: you were gonna say something that's just like crazy oh no i mean we have that is crazy? Decaf? not that there's anything wrong with the decaf i'm just yeah
0: so <laughs> like And then our decaf, to kind of just talk a little bit more about that real fast, um, we kind of are sourcing that through a a program that Cafe Imports has, uh, Decaf Select, kind of rotate that about three or four times every year, Um, really are kind of making a point to emphasize uh, quality in decaf coffee. Um, A lot of times those coffees have been sitting in like a warehouse for a year um, in parchment or a... I'm sorry, they're already uh, processed, sitting in the juke bags, and they kind of need to move it, so they ship it out to Mexico, for example, to get decaffeinated and brought back, and I think that's where a lot of people's negative perceptions of decaf are coming from. Um, there, There is an intention behind the quality of the decaf coffee, um, so it's. I think when Mike and I go on sales trips, it's usually our favorite thing to have people cup um, because there's such a – I think everyone kind of puts their guard up immediately when we put it on the table. They're like, oh, I don't know about this decaf. And then when they have it, it's usually one of their top one or two coffees on the table, and it's even more fun to do it blind and telling them it's decaf after the fact.
3: Can I can I tell you something? I have this bag of decaf that I that I bought uh, from Augie's actually uh, for a little pop up that I did a couple weekends ago, mm-hmm. and it's been sitting in my cabinet, and I've been debating on whether or not to take it to the office to brew for my coworkers and just not tell them it was decaf.
1: i uh, do it, Cause it right, you should do it
3: because it's so good. But I there's I I don't know if I would ever feel good about myself after tricking them like that. You don't
2: even have to tell them it's decaf. I just just <laughs> just keep I, it keep it so, super quiet. Yeah. So just as a side and then we'll get back to topic. I have a hard time ordering decaf because I don't I don't brew it enough and so generally, you know, I yeah. don't want I don't I want coffee to be around for for you know, not just sitting in my my cupboard for forever. Right, right. But, you know, I don't ever go I don't know when I'd ever go through 12 ounces of decaf. I I think decaf should be offered in shorter amounts yeah
1: decaf and shops i feel like makes a lot of sense but at home it's it's same thing for me like i'll only get decaf at home if i know somebody's coming over that only drinks decaf but
3: but going back to my my original thought that i had in in asking this whole question so you guys have a lineup a really solid lineup of a number of coffees um how many coffees are you actually sampling versus how many do you actually select i mean because obviously you know when we talk about importing coffees like you know you don't just import like one you know right. the the coffee you're gonna get like you're you're probably sampling a number of them and then choosing which one and then you import that particular coffee what if they
2: told you that they did there's only six of them yeah, we- there's only six guys what <laughs> if they told you that that's true well
1: uh, I don't know that we've have thought about it in quantity before but mm-hmm. I just gotta give like a big shout out to my main man Andrew Timko is our green buyer and like my yang. We're kinda of like the yin and yang and we push each other so much on coffee selection. I think personally that's what makes me go to work every day. I mean it gets pretty heated sometimes but we are constantly tasting coffees. As a group as as a group we're tasting every Wednesday to make decisions on buying. You know, we buy pretty democratically which is pretty crazy if you think about it. But uh you know, so we're, we're, we're cupping multiple options for each spot. And each spot rotates... So each of those six spots rotates three or four times a year, maybe even five on some of those. Um, so we're tasting uh, hundreds of coffees each year. But we're really... It's getting a little easier now because we're, we're starting to get to a point where we can pre-select based on relationships. So... Like we have an awesome, awesome thing going with this cooperative in Ethiopia called Cheery. Uh, it's in Western Ethiopia, and like yes. that's already like <laughs> it's already like got a home on our offering sheet. Like whenever that's gonna arrive in country, like it's gonna make its way into one of those spots. So it's it's a little bit it's a little bit easier now that we've grown and we've we've established some of these relationships because we can like filter before we even taste stuff. Not that it's not fun to taste great coffees, but we taste so much good coffee every week.
3: So, yeah, I guess, and that's that's kind of what I assumed your answer was going to be just because, you know, after you get uh, as much experience as you guys are getting with all different, all of these different offerings from all over the world, like, so you develop these relationships now, what happens if, you know, one of these relationships that you have sort of maybe they have a bad year or, you know, are, is, does that kind of sour your view of them or are you, are you willing to take them on? Like, do you, do you continue to go back to them later on?
1: Sure. That's, that's a great question. Um, we, we're pretty patient and I think we feel okay about passing on a crop a year if it really doesn't meet our expectations. Mm-hmm. When We're not at a point where we, like, really demand exclusivity from our producers either. Um, and some years we don't get a crop that we want. So it kind of, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes, and, and we've, you know, we haven't felt terrible if we've missed a coffee that we wanted because somebody else bought it up. Like, that's a celebration. Of, if a producer we like has, like, sold all their coffee, that's that's great. I mean, that means they're going to be around another year to do this and be more capable. Um, so there'll be more coffee that we can find. But, um, you know, we haven't, so far, we haven't hit that too much. Um, you know, sometimes it will just change, you know, what, where we offer it or how we offer it. Um, but we haven't ever just, like, really had a spot where, like, we had a relationship coffee, like, lined up and it just flopped. That may happen one of these days, but um, you know that's something we think about with our relationships too and how we structure them so that we're not getting ourselves into a, a bound position and then uh, we have to just like buy a bunch of not very good coffee.
2: So unless there's something that we're kind of missing on that topic in regards to sourcing, let's switch over and talk about the seasonality of coffee. So we're at a convenient time right now to talk about seasonality right because yes. we're kind of in the middle good time of, of seasons right now right talk a talk a little bit about that for some of these
0: as far as our shop's concerned like we've had some pretty fun coffees come on right now i think columbians are kind of like the one of the larger they're about they're kind of on the tail end of the season but um definitely have gotten some pretty fun ones in the last uh month or two um
1: we're, we're we're heading into kind of the the you know the glorious season of of fresh coffee. Uh, centrals are landing right now, so uh, we just put out our first offering from Costa Rica yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. yeah, and uh, we have more coming from Central America, and then Ethiopia, Kenya are all landing very soon. Uh Ethiopia and Kenya both have slightly longer seasons, so we're gonna see that, that stuff land all throughout the summer. Uh so fresh coffee from North Africa and from Central America and for sure landing right now. All that stuff gets harvested typically November through March. Uh it's a very general broad range, but but uh you know, north northern north hemisphere going to be kind of, yeah, harvesting November, December, January, February, March, landing in the country, April, May, June, July, and then kind of just basically when that stuff starts landing, that's when Southern Hemisphere stuff typically starts harvesting, and uh, so, you know, June, July, August, all the way through October, you have Brazil harvesting, that stuff starts to land right around the new year, and we move into that too, so, Pretty fun cycle, and some countries like Colombia have you know fly crops, smaller harvests, so they're putting out fresh coffee year round. Um, but for us, I mean, that's a big reason why we have the harvest season on the bag is just so you know. A lot of these countries will have slightly different harvests, so it's hard to know how fresh the coffee is just based on the country. So we thought it was really important to put the harvest season on there so you had a good sense of how long this coffee has been you know, in transit, and am I drinking, you know, am I drinking the freshest crop available from Biftu Gedina, for instance? You know, that's a coffee that you'll see a lot throughout the year because there's probably multiple shipments of that leaving Ethiopia. Um, you know, and, and it does keep its age pretty well. Um, but it's, pro- it's not too uncommon that you'd actually be able to get two separate harvest years, ...from two different roasters at the exact same time. Uh, so that might be something that you use to decide which coffee do I want. Typically the fresher crop's going to taste better. You can have coffees that, that hang out for a year plus off harvest... ...especially like stuff from Kenya. And it still tastes awesome. But I've done plenty of tastings where tasting s- same coffee from the same farm... ...a year harvest apart and the, f- the fresher one is always more dynamic coffee just as it ages it starts to lose some of its pop it starts to lose some of its dazzle some of its acidity its vibrance um if you're drinking a really good kenya sometimes it's really hard to know that until you taste the better one um Mm -hmm. but you know i'm a huge fan of seasonal coffees and i really like to move around the globe really celebrate different countries different producers uh so that's why you know seasonality for me is a big thing too is just you know highlighting what's really what's the best it can be right now that's the coffee i usually want to be drinking
2: so i imagine that you guys mentioned a little bit ago about some of the blends that you guys do be it for espresso or even for filter so i imagine there's got to be a little bit of difficulty there too cuz you're ideally you know some people will do seasonal blends but then there are, there are others that will do a blend and it's generally going to have a similar profile throughout mm-hmm. the year so does the changing of seasons, how does that come into play when deciding on how you're going to find the components to match up with a with a blend that's supposed to have a certain profile? Or on the other side, seasonal blends and how you guys play things
0: to that. Sure. Uh, I would say for Pinrose or es- Espresso, for example, um, so that originally did start off as a single origin and then I think the seventh version that we had. Um, that became the first experiment with a blend, um, and to be, even that was insanely popular, honestly, with, I think a lot of our, our regulars in the cafe, they would, you'd make them a drink and they'd just be like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Um, I think for us, the Penrose, I think the, what it should be tasting like, or it's a little bit, it's painted with a broader brush, um, than maybe some other, um, blends that other companies do um we're basically looking for we are looking with the espresso we're looking for a coffee that doesn't have a lot of acidity we want it to be sweet um and we want it to have some nice body to it we want it to stand up in on its own and we want it to stand up in milk um so that's really how we're looking um for the components um, we're going to have a new version of our Penrose being released pretty soon. And that's, um, about, let's see, it's Majority Brazil. And then there's about a quarter or so of a Kenyan coffee in there um, as well. Um, still kind of playing with those uh, parameters that we kind of were just talking about Uh, body, um, nice sweetness, not very acidic um, as well. Um, As far as our filter blend goes, um, I would say that we introduced that late 2015, and both of those versions tasted fairly different. Um, So we just really, for that, we want it to be like a a very accessible filter coffee. Um, We want it something that we can give coffee professionals a cup of that and they would be happy with it and we can give that to i can give that to my grandma and she'll be really happy with that as well um and uh yeah definitely i would say that has a little bit more acidity to it it's not a dominant feature um but it's enough to kind of have that little pop at the back of your palate uh, when you're drinking it as well
1: yeah blends uh Blends can be really challenging, but I think you know. Again, it's knowing your coffees, knowing your regions, and kind of anticipating what you could be using to be to be creating profiles. We're spoiled. We didn't blend at all when we started Mm -hmm. on on purpose. We didn't want to force ourselves to blend. We wanted to have a reason for it. Um, So it it kind of came upon us as an opportunity to do something with coffee that we hadn't done yet, and we had a reason to do it with. Kind of what we're looking at you with the espresso and then the filter blend, but it's uh, I mean, it presents its own its own challenges in terms of, you really the challenges aren't so much for us finding coffees that fit profiles. It's more figuring out how much coffee to buy and then buying in the ratio you're going to blend in, and uh, you know, having those coffees be traceable and stay as fresh as possible. That's that's really been the biggest challenge for us.
3: But when you talk about sourcing and seasonality too, kind of the the whole. You know aspect of the things that we're talking about here, your blends have more information on them <laughs> than I've ever seen it's on anybody's blend it. ever like i'm I'm looking at just a yeah, photo of the bag it's, itself and it's like you know a little novel on the yeah. front of it, and all this you say- know which is which is awesome i mean honestly i I think that's great because then you know it's not just like well, we're ignoring the coffee, you know we're ignoring all the details about it when we blend it. Um, you guys are listing it all out in, in gory
0: detail, including is, your importers for each one and everything yeah. else. So. That's what you get for uh, doing a three component blend. For <laughs> yeah, we're, we're only doing two, <laughs> only component two components here. <laughs> oh, man, go to four or five. <laughs> oh, no. No,
1: no. <laughs> I don't know. We don't have enough space to store that, that much coffee.
2: <laughs> when you start doing that with a blend, does it start tasting like a, a soda suicide?
1: Yeah, was, uh, I you get to a point. Uh, I think I think uh, Andrew's got a pretty good philosophy that a coffee needs to be at least twenty percent of a blend for it to really have a flavor impact. He's done you a just lot. Just can't more.
2: find that six percent Ecuador guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting notes.
1: Of... I'm getting notes of a thirteen percent Panamanian. <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds, sounds like chocolate. Yeah.
2: Is there any advice when shopping? Seasonally to give to people who maybe just don't know, you know what to what to look for. You know, they might not they might not have a lot of experience with Costa Rican coffees, or you know, coffees from Peru, or coffees from Sulawesi, or something like that.
0: I think a great thing that I hear in our cafe from people that come in um, and are looking to buy a bag of coffee um, when I hear, "Oh, I really like Ethiopian coffees." That's kind of I can assume from that that they're really mostly talking about natural processed Ethiopians. So they're looking for some nice fruit notes, generally. um, And they want something that's just pretty clean overall. um, And maybe has, yeah, I would say leaning a little bit more on the fruitier side. So that makes my job easier to kind of point them in the direction of a coffee that does have a distinct... Like fruit note in it It may not necessarily be from Ethiopia But It's much easier But Oh well hey like this Nariño Colombia Would be a great option for you It's going to be You know have those berry notes that you're looking for For example
1: Yeah find, and find a barista you trust Like a shop that makes you feel good And just that's I think that's a good place to start For anybody who's brewing at home Go in and ask them you know just say you know i'm looking for a coffee i want something seasonal it's exciting and this is what i normally like to drink when i come here i like to drink these coffees these have been some of my favorites and that's that's like my favorite customer that walks into our shop is like you know i really like this one but i know it's gone what should i try next and that's like such i've been on that journey for like eight years it's just like mm-hmm. It's so fun. It's like all right, so I, I love washed Ethiopian coffees so so much. And they're they're all over the place right now and like it's it's exciting for me too, but I think part of why I love them so much is that in my mind there's a few months of the year where I drink them or like I feel like they're really singing and then I'm looking for okay, what coffee is exciting me and then when they come back again around this year it's like oh okay yes. right. I love these coffees so it's just finding kind of what you really like somebody you trust to kind of give you some options and then you'll start to I think really fall into like understanding what these what these origins have to offer kind of what taste notes you should be looking for on bags um, you know and if if you really need help just go to our website and shoot us a line in our comment box we would we would love love to start you on that journey
0: and I was just going to add one other quick thing as as far as like kind of connecting those dots. Like right now in our shop, we have a Burundi coffee and it's kind of a really – it has a lot of characteristics very similar to the Kenyan coffees that are going to be coming in the season right now. Um, so – it's kind of, you can kind of connect the dots throughout the calendar year, um, a little easier. Um, so once you kind of know what you're looking for, kind of what Mike was saying, like it's much easier to kind of extrapolate that over the calendar year and really kind of have a couple different things that you do enjoy. Um, I think, you know, another, you know, once those natural Ethiopians are out of season, you know, you're going to have some, you know, maybe some naturally processed Central American coffees um, potentially kind of coming in here and there. That kind of kind of tied you over until... Or even some, you're starting to get some
1: naturally processed Burundis now, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So pretty fun stuff. The The nice thing, too, about, you know, trying new coffees when your favorite one is out of season is, like, you might stumble into something you enjoy even more. You start finding some complexity in coffees and... Uh, you know, it'll make you appreciate the coffees that you first fell in love with, and also might make you appreciate coffees that you never gave a chance to. I was, a few years ago, I was just not given anything from Indonesia a fair shake. I just, like, felt like I was just, like, done with that profile, and I kind of, you know, just pigeonholed everything into one, like, kind of broad taste category I didn't want, and then Tasted this coffee from Torco Indonesia, and then we've had some really good coffees from Papua New Guinea the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. And like, really, just kind of reminded myself again, forced myself to really like open up to those coffees and find some things that were just really stunning and really delicious
2: and complex. Well, and kind of on that same note, I you know either listening to this podcast before or Brian and I have had a lot of conversations about last year. And the coffees I was kind of discovering from Nicaragua or Honduras, I feel like I bring this up every podcast, but so those were coffees that I didn't really give a fair shake before, but then when they were seasonal and they were around and they were orderable from places, I was trying to get them in to try and, you know, it changed my perception of those things. So one thing, again, I would want to encourage too just about seasonality is that some of these offerings too, while you're in the middle of, there's nothing wrong with wa- liking a washed Ethiopian copies, liking your washed Kenyan coffees and wanting those seasons to come back in but while you're in the off season trying something that's out like even this season it's been coffees from Peru or well, even yeah. some from Ecuador that I've found out that mm-hmm. what's so cool about trying them like when they come back in season is because it's that time where you can either it either pour, well how what how do I want to say this it it either comes across like you had experienced it before or it gives you a new perspective yeah. of what that coffee can offer and what's cool about that is you're you're generally hopefully talking with if it's uh, folks like you guys who work with producers and farms year after year you're seeing the development of that crop or the age of the farm or i mean i guess there's a lot of other conditions you know the the weather they had but you're able to see change from season to season Mm-hmm. Um, Or you're just able to see change in general to a region. You know, if you're trying several Perus from a couple of roasters, you're trying a couple of coffees from Ecuador from around, and you're able to see these kind of more widespread changes from what you thought they were able to produce.
1: I, uh, I, I mean, I think you're right on there with like – being us being able to like watch these developments happen is so exciting. Like I'm so happy you brought up Peru. Like I've I've been tasting coffees from Central Cafe in Peru for probably six or seven years and the coffees the last two years have just been phenomenal. I mean watch out for that origin. Like it the the altitude there is fantastic. The varietals are great. They're just figuring out now how to get coffee to the mill faster, get it to the country get it out of the country faster and educate on processing and just like just the community effort has been amazing and, and seeing that change season to season is just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's the best part of the job for sure.
2: So let me ask being you guys being on the inside working in coffee, are there changes or implementations or things that you all are seeing in either the sourcing side of things or, seasonality or things happening during production that you can share with us that are exciting, kind of moving forward at all. Is there anything there?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, on a broad level, I think just there's more awareness of the specialty market at origin. Uh, like the number of producers I talked to this year at SCAA in Atlanta was, it was amazing. And we had people coming up to our table, dropping us samples like all day. So I mean, it seems like a little thing, but it's it's the impact is huge. If you just think about producers understanding the market they're selling to is is just revolutionary, and the amount of great coffee that's producing is awesome. So we have a broad base of just coffee getting better, uh, and then on kind of more like a a micro level, uh, we're starting to see some really interesting things happening with processing. Uh, Rodimus was in Colombia, uh, I think in October. October, yeah. Yeah, and he saw some really interesting things going on. Uh, he had freeze processed coffee by Elkin
0: Guzman. Said it was
1: the best coffee he tasted on the whole trip. I don't really understand how it
0: works, but well, I think it's my well, coming from my restaurant background. I sold a lot of wine, and I think it's kind of similar to like a like an ice wine. You are kind of concentrating those sugars in and making the overall uh, product sweeter in some respects. So I'm kind of thinking that's where that's going. But to echo Mike, the processing I think is definitely where you're going to see a lot of development moving in the mm-hmm. next couple of years. I think at a roasting level where you've, I think plateau is a strong word, but I think we know, we know a lot. Yeah. I'll say that. And then as far as a, like making coffee we know of a lot as well and I think at the farm level that's where I, you know I'm seeing all these things that are very are utilized in uh, wine wine making quite a bit too yeah. and you know for example stainless steel um, is a good example. those are typically used for those really nice uh, rieslings from like New Zealand for example that are just very crisp. Um, on the palate, and you're seeing that happen on the coffee farms um, as well. And, you know, seeing kind of what is going on at that level is pretty fun. Um, And kind of to talk about that Elkin Guzman Mm -hmm. as well, too, you know, just uh, learning about that through Rodimus when he was preparing for the National Barista Tournament. You know, there were some things that he did with the Castillo varietal, that were, were, if you're looking at them from a traditional viewpoint, you're like, whoa, you're kind of messing up here, buddy. Um, He would over-ripen the cherries on the trees to get a little more concentrated sugar. Um, And he's also using a a Brix meter, which analyzes the sugar content to kind of make sure that there's an appropriate level of that, too. Um, Another thing I saw in Atlanta... um, at the Brewer's Cup was a lot of lactic fermentation yeah. processing. Yeah. Very, very, it's very in, um, for sure. <laughs> so I think a lot of most traditionally, a lot of Colombian coffees are fermented or uh, I would say like 12 to 24 hours. And there were some coffees being served that were going on like 90, I'm, uh, 96 hours. Um, Lactic fermentation Blair Smith from Augie's uh, coffee. She was using one of those coffees um, as well. So I, I brewed
3: up her coffee this morning. Actually. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and she also used a coffee um, that was a month off roast at competition, which is mm-hmm. also <laughs> one of That's those things. That, yeah, it's also <laughs> one of those things of like, wait a second, are you sure you know what you're, you know, is this the right thing to be doing? Um, but you know, just It's uh, again. There's some new frontiers being pioneered at the moment um, from at the farm level. So um, that's uh, that's pretty exciting from our perspective.
2: So if anybody here wanted to catch you guys online or anything like that, normally we'll we'll leave those kind of plugs to you guys. How can listeners find you all, whether it be individually or whether it be Blueprint? Oh yeah.
1: Uh, So Blueprint, you can hit up on pretty much any social media channel, which just at Blueprint Coffee. Uh, and you can hit us on the interwebs at BlueprintCoffee.com, and you'll find ways to contact us through email or our form forum there. Uh, so that should have everything you need. I am at Mike North uh, on Twitter and uh, Instagram, so feel free to hit me up there as well.
0: And I am on Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, it's the T H E Evan Jones.
2: Dang. It's official. It's official.
0: Yeah. Evan Jones was taken. So I just figured so I'd, you had to be the, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
3: well, awesome guys. Thank you so much for, uh, being on the show, for sharing your experiences, for kind of letting us in behind the scenes at blueprint. Super interesting information, especially for all the big coffee nerds out there who, uh, who think about this kind of stuff a lot and get excited about it. So thank you.
1: Thanks for having thank
3: us. You for having Come us. visit
1: us
0: anytime. Yeah, Shop's <laughs> open for you guys. Sweet.
3: Well, thanks everybody for listening. We are on Instagram also at I brew my own coffee. We are on Twitter at brew my own coffee. You can visit us on our website at I brew my own If you have any questions for us, you want to send us an email, click the contact us link at the top of the page. And uh, until next episode, brew seasonally everybody so long everybody